Postman Show on AlbionRadio.com The Codsworth Incident A Very British UFO Mystery March 30th, 1993, South West England A little part bit after 8.30pm on the 30th of March, 1993 A large unknown object began to to be reported to Somerset Police. The first detail report came from an off-duty police officer. He and a group of local scouts were out in Quadrock Hills when they saw a mammoth object overhead. The officer would describe it as like two concords flying side by side and joined together. Reports would continue throughout the evening. All similar description and for the vast majority, all from the sound and stable witnesses. Furthermore, from the ports and locations, a time of events would slowly build up. The entire family, Woodley, in Staffordshire, would report they witnessed the craft in front of them extremely low to the ground. It appeared to be around 200 metres across, and after following it for several minutes, believed it had landed in a field near to the road. By the time they had tracked down the suspected location, the object was nowhere to be seen. One bizarre report came from US UFO researcher Doug Cooper. He had spoken with a farmer whose cattle were unnerved shortly after midnight. On the first evening, by the time the witness had made their way to the field, the cattle were, to his amazement, the entire cattle had stood in a circle, completely silent. The following evening, which just as active, sightings again began to hit the police station. Sweet faults. In the evening, many officers were alert on and on location. Both RAF Shrewsbury and RAF Cosworth would witness sightings over their bases. Object of two white lights and red and a faint red glow zipped over RAF. IRF Cosworth, a great ferocity, as well as the official report from the base, with normal sightings from civilians in the area. A sighting at RF Shrewsbury, the mythological officer at the base would have thought, seen strange craft approach the base with slow control, flying around 30 miles per hour. A strange laser-like beam emerged from his underside towards its ground below. It sweeped from side to side as looking for something. A pleasant rumbling began, which the officer could feel as well as hear. As suddenly the light went out, a short craft shot away at breaking speed. The officer in question wished to remain anonymous. He did have a state to the... It was unlike anything he'd ever seen. In North Canal Road, abduction, aliens in Yukon. After some very extreme weather over the Ross River, Yukon's sky ahead was grey. Kevin was in high spirits on the morning, the 2nd of September 1987. His mud was fully loaded, ready to indulge in a three-day moose hunting adventure. The open area is between Sheldon Lake and Makabas. He planned to stay in a private trailer at Dewhurst Creek between hunts. He also arranged for several friends to join him for a further day to fishing on the open water. As soon as he set off, though, the temperature began to drop. 
Shortly after, a drizzle began to appear and quickly turned to a downpour. By the time he arrived at a place called Greville Creek, he was completely soaked and Realising he had a, cabin, a friend had a cabin nearby, he stopped in order to change his clothes, putting on more sort of attire for the weather, because he still had a, a considerable journey ahead of him. When he finally arrived at the isolated trailer, it would be his home for the next few days. It was early morning. Although the sun finally broke in through the clouds, his time was limited, and dusk immediately around, immediately around the corner. Resources for the journey and the elements... Kevin prepared a fire and cooked something to eat. Went in straight to bed. He would fall asleep in the sound of rain tapping his song on the roof of the trailer. He awoke early in the next morning, the 3rd of September. The rain had stopped, and that sign remained wet and damp. He immediately loaded the equipment required for the day's hunting on the bike, set off towards Macca Pass along the North Canal Road. He kept the speed of the bike to a minimum of 10 miles per hour in order to keep control of it. In distance, he could see a shining white snow hats of the Yukon Mountains. He continued down the road for a sudden uneasy anxious feeling began to run through him. He couldn't explain the feeling. However, as he experienced another person, those mysterious treacherous terrains, all that played host to trust such feelings, he looked in the tree to see he could spot a presence of some kind, however, there was no obvious movement to indicate such. He'd pull the bike to the side of the road and step off, leaving it, leaning outright. He quickly scanned his surroundings once more before stepping into some long grass in order to relieve himself of his morning coffee. As he did so, a movement up, up ahead of him caught his attention. He turned his head and saw what he thought was a low-flying aircraft plane or possibly a helicopter. He couldn't make out any of the wings or propellers. Furthermore, it was now only it was now only forty yards from the ground. He noticed that despite his low attitude as what strange craft made no sound whatever, he realised he's not seeing a plane or a helicopter. He went to retrieve a camera and sat in it, which was in his jacket pocket. However, for some reason he couldn't explain. He was himself. He suddenly decided not to take a picture. I quickly forgot the idea. He stared at the object more intently and saw several portholes along the sides of the craft. A strange green cylinder shape with a grey section separating the top from the bottom. Then it appeared to disappear right in front of his eyes for a second. Then it reappeared. It was very much of a solid form again, though slightly closer than a second ago. That's when Kevin thought to himself, I don't think I should be seeing this. He crouched as low as he could in the long grass all over at the roadside. Mysterious craft continued to move, eventually disappearing behind a nearby hill. He remained for, there for a moment before emerging cautiously out to, with his makeshift cover and back towards his bike. It is so, though, he heard a metallic flood behind him. Expecting another vehicle to be heading his way, he ran out, intent on telling them what he just witnessed. As he walked along the roadside and towards the bright, slight moon of the road, however, instead of another vehicle or person, he found himself face to face with two grey creatures, with insect-looking heads and pointy faces. Each adorned a tightly-fitting blue jumpsuit and essentially thin arms and legs of a dorsal. His mind, Kevin would hear him say, 
the grasshopper people. Before Kevin could take in what was happening, one of the creatures raised his hands to the waist and on what looked to be a flashlight. A bright beam hit Kevin and pulled him from reality. With a state that it was absolutely quiet, nothing existed but me. He tried to call out, but he was unable to form any words. His whole entire body was paralysed. Everything around him was completely back. A sensation of rocking skywards. Then he looked around and realised he stood on the other side of the road. With seas bite across from him, two creatures, however, were no longer there. He also noticed how the shadows of the trees on the side of the road had grown significantly. This suggested that in more time than a few seconds had passed, beginning to realise something was clearly wrong, stumbled across the road and jumped back on his bike. He reached the keys, which he always left in ignition, but they weren't there. It took several moments to realise his hand was tightly cast around them. Coming to his senses a, a little... He placed the key in the ignition and started the bike, rode away from the area. He didn't stop until he ride back in the trailer. By the time he made a pot of coffee, it was already dark outside. He must have blacked out, he reasoned with himself. He was, my, uh, he was out almost a day, but no memory of it. Then a slow humming came from above the trailer. He was sense of vibration in everything around him. This would last around ten minutes before suddenly stopping. He recalled that however the creatures were earlier at the roadside, he expected they were outside and trailer now. He wouldn't have a risk looking out the window. Instead, he checked the locks and wait for daylight to arrive. He didn't manage to sleep. He did, though, have several flashbacks earlier in the day. I managed to string together a timeline of mysterious events for the last 24 hours. I recall entering a strange streamlight state and also looking down on trees and ground below as if I was flying. Kevin would call of opening his eyes and seeing nothing but darkness. Suddenly the darkness moved away from him and he could see the face of another strange creature. A darkness between the eye and this furious host. A voice entered his mind telling him there's nothing to worry about. These creatures, of which there are several in the room, described as typical grey alien, apparently different from the two on the wayside. He sat up and asked whether they were going to experiment, do experiments on it. The creature replied again directly. He said, they have already been done. As the creature asked if he wished to see Earth or where he was, he noticed a strange sensation in his hands. So much so, he continually rubbed them together in slight discomfort. He's doing, he's still doing it. So he approached the window, like sc- screen at aliens, alien, at the alien, grey aliens' lead. The creature would point out a small dot and state, "That bright white star is your home." It was then Kevin realised he was in deep space. His memory of the next moments are, are hazy. He recalled the creature speaking of him about science, space, and star systems. Heavy couldn't remember any of it, except they all looked like white dots. In theory, of Jessica, this is likely some kind of star map. This would explain the white dots in reference to the planets. It's also likely in Jessica's opinion, the information given to him on either their own star systems or planet, or other such systems in the universe that can't sustain life. After declining the invitation to go on a trip with his host, they would inform him they would... 
he would have forgotten the episode before returning. He was given a clear glass of yellow liquid and told to drink it all. This, they said, would make him forget the incident for his own good. Not wanting to forget the incident, however, he took three quick sips and discreetly put the glass down on the table. Given that he would remember these partial parts of the encounter, his decision not to drink all the strange liquid appears to have worked. Kevin's next to him, he's waking up on the roadside, disoriented and confused. He turned to a trailer and wait the arrival of daylight. He would remain there until his friends arrived the next day. Kevin chose not to say anything to them about the incident. He would reason later that apparently cosmic visitors would likely return, and more to the point, he didn't think they would believe him. Following the trip, Kevin returned to Ross River and wouldn't mention the incident until the summer of 2000. The Bogorio Sandman and other desert-dwelling Bigfoot of California. There's been many tales of the men here, but one such tale is that such a desert squatchfoot comes from us, comes from San Diego County, California, where it's called the Bogorio Badlands or the Bogorio Silk. A vast, sprawl and inhabited desert, dry canyons, amorous, perilous covarises, underground caves of incoming, unwelcoming California desert. The area is home to the Azabala Bungo Desert State Park, the largest state park in California. Arid moonscape and desert, desolated desert is all apparently to home to a large hairy monster. Tales of some type of humanoid, bigfoot-like creature have apparently been prevalent in the area for centuries. When Spanish ministries came to San Diego in 1769, they heard numerous stories from the natives of the region that they were roughly translated as hairy devils, which were foul-smelling men, like beasts, avoided at all costs, which lived along the Santa Ana River. And they just refer to the home of the creatures as Tolores Puke, or the camp of the devil, and warned the outsiders to stay well away from the creatures. Apparently there is something to all this, as the European settlers came pouring in, there were a series of rather frightening encounters with these so-called hairy devils. In the mid-1800s, the area just west of the Arizona Elbow Desert Park, called Dead Man's Hole, came an important stop-off point for various stagecoach lines, crisscrossing a harsh and relenting desert and landscape. Around 1876, sightings began to come in by hairy man-like beasts stalking the area, with the first such account being from a stagecoach passenger who claimed to have seen all the creatures staring at him from behind some bush. Not long after this, there was a series of strange deaths in the vicinity, victims typically looking as if they had been ravaged by a wild animal, and these deaths were blamed on the creature that had been sighted skulking around. In April of 1876, a report was published by the Stan Dago Union of a prospector named Turner Helm, who was out in the desert near Dead Man's Hole. A place called Warner's Ranch came across a beastly man like monster, described as the missing link. According to Turner, he had a body covered in dark fur like a bear, but possessed a startling human-like face. Turner and his, mis- his unidentified companion at the time claimed 
they came across the creature as it sat upon the boulder, and that, and that as it approached, it stood up and turned to describe it thus. It was covered all over in coarse black hair, seemingly two or three inches long, like the hair of a bear. His beard and hair of his head was long and thick. He was a man of medium size and rather fine features, not of all those Indian, but more like an American a Spaniard. The two men had then tried to talk to it, English, Spanish, and even a language of natives. The thing just stared at them and began to walk towards them. Only back hacking off and the two frightened prospectors pulled the rifles at aim as if they shaking hands. A year later, March 1888, the San Diego transcript told of two local hunters called Charles Cox and Edward Dean who actually ventured into the wilderness in order to hunt the beast down in wake of the tales of the and brutal unserved murders a dead man's hull. And here is some of their witness account. Its legs were long. They they used with such ease of facility, climbing on the rocks and logs. In the second fault, the animal appeared more like an immense gorilla. Its hair was dark brown. It was at least six foot in height. The front legs and the use assembled arms and beasts were moved almost uprightly, like a man or a monkey. Its body was quite round and covered with extremely long hair, entirely devoid of all of the tail. The arms and legs, hands of the beast, greatly resembled those of a human being, and facial features unmistakably Indian character, but teeth were plainly those of a governor's animal. Constantine allegedly did what they had come to do, and opened fire on the creature. A carcass was estimated and it, weighing over four hundred pounds. Two men quickly decided most likely the predator perpetrator of grizzly attacks they played the region. They apparently went about trying to have it shipped off to Santa Rega to be examined and put on display. The corpse would go missing, leaving the vicinity of the tail unknown. In nineteen thirty-nine, a shop owner claimed that he'd been out camping in a bowl of silk when he came across a large pack, a pack of large like ape-like creatures with silver hair all over their bodies and large glowing red eyes. The miniature beast reported circled the camp for some time but were frightened campfire. It's 1964. One father and son reported it being pelted with rocks from a shaggy ape like beasts while hiking in the area of Escarono. Most famously was the report of a U.S. Marine named Victor Stagnador who had been exploring the area come across a series of unusual three-toed tracks measuring 14 inches long and 9 inches wide. He claimed he returned to the area to take photographs. A few days later, in 1968, a man named Harold Lester said he had the following encounter. I saw a man walking in the desert. The figure came closer. I thought it was another processor. Then I picked up my binoculars. I saw the strange sight of my life. It was a great, it was a real great ape man. I heard about screaming great ape, giant ape men up in total county. I frightened people for a couple of years. Another person even went up there to look for the thing. I decided it was a hoax and never expected to actually see me. The thing was big. I was no match for it. I attempted to wait until the boots pistol my hip. I wouldn't have been 
like shooting at a gorilla with a pea shooter. I was afraid the beast might get too close, so I fired a couple of rounds in the air. The sandman jumped a good three feet off the ground. When the sounds of the shot reached him, he turned his head towards me, and then ran up, took off running in the other direction. Several, several tra- a set of tracks found in 1985 in the De- Arizona Desert Park were very large footprints, and there have been some more other sporadic sightings in the 80s than the 90s. For most of the part, the Degro Sandman seems to have gone quiet for now. It's one, one very weird series of reports of a desert Bigfoot occurred throughout the 1950s and 60s. Historical Mickey Thompson's Farodona International Dragway of Fredona. The city is a long traditional route auto racing. During the height of the dragway, popularity in the 60s seems to have attracted a very curious visitor. At the time, some spectators came forward as curious accounts having seen a large, hairy, barbarian creature prowling about right out in front of the gravel cooking crowds. Some gathered reports of rather ominous nature. A young boy claimed to have been attacked by it as he walked home in 1965. A boy claimed it jumped out of the bush to grab him, though he managed to escape it and said his clothes had been torn. The same year was another report from a young woman named Jerry Mattertail, who said she parked her car along a great street in Vendona. A hulking beast covered in mud and smelling like a dead animal cussed her by grabbing her through her window, after which she floored it and managed to get away. All other th- things happened. The creatures had even been seen at hundreds of people the raceway. To the point it quickly gained the nickname the Speedway Monster, and sightings continued even after the race track closed its doors. In 1975, a group of Boy Scouts came face to face with the beast, wandering through their campsite. In 1976, it seemed near a cabin at Big Bear. Another witness claimed a monster was stealing chickens from property in 1991. 1992, several motorists on the foothill Bollard spotted it, making its way along some railway tracks that passed right by the busy street. It is now known why this particular set were drawn to one area, this one area. Such de- such desert quite should have been sighted in other areas of Southern California. Noted a series of sightings in the nineteen seventies at the Edwards Air Base Force Base and the Pandonia Le- Leicestershire area of the Montreal Desert. During this time several personal at personnel the remote desert base came forward to know Anonymously, we report that large Bigfoot-like creatures been routinely spotted through the night vision equipment, skirting the perimeter of the base, walking through it, or even venturing into many, on many underground tunnels in the area. Witnesses explained the presence of the creatures were unofficial, were officially classified, and they were been specifically told not to fire upon them. Allegedly, been several instances of catching the creature surveillance cameras at the base, but this footage was later classified and never released to the public. In 1977, a, tra- a Douglas E. Trap, the Southwest Bigfoot team, and his friend Corey Woodworth, had an encounter. 
We sat quietly in the Denson pickup truck, the windows rolled down, the doom light on, reading literature collected from the state and bury and old newspapers. Suddenly the hair on our necks rose, and a loud crashing noise was heard coming from below as uh, us. The orchard, we were frozen through all, as this thing lumbered through the trees with great force, breaking and snapping limbs with its girth. As we listened, we estimated that this animal was very large and very fast. It could be a deer, we thought at first. Then came a loud grunt and low moan to something that would not be a deer. Corey looked at me, turned the ignition key, put in it first and popped the clutch. We almost did a wheelie, a little truck, and either of us looked back. The reports we read indicate that this is previously seen months that might be dangerous and aggressive. It's had on one, on one occasion approached necking teenagers and rocked their vehicles. Neither of us are willing to let this thing rock our trucks. The fear was real, almost instinctive, like it's some sort of inherent warning. The reports we read are mentioned for many feeling by prior witnesses. We turned to this site, but continue to gross ourselves with investigating Sasquatch reports throughout Southern California. And just for your entertainment, some more ghost jokes. And for you, why did the police officer let the ghost go? He didn't, couldn't pin anything on him. Ba-boom. Well, how do ghosts keep fit? By exercising regularly. Where does a ghost go on vacation? Malibu. What's a great ghost's favourite dessert? Booberry pie. Where do ghosts mail their letters? At the ghost's office. What kind of street do ghosts prefer to live on? A dead end. What ghosts' favourite food? Fruit? Blueberries. What does a ghost do when it gets in the car? Puts its sheet on its sheet belt. What are the ghosts' favourite rides at the fair? The roller coaster. The room of the house you least find a ghost in, the living room. What do you call a ghost of a chicken, a poultry ghost? What do ghosts hate? Why do ghosts hate rain? Because it dampens their spirits. Why do ghosts like to ride in elevators? It raises their spirits. Where did a where did a ghost take his baby, her baby, when she went to work? The day scare centre. What's the favourite des- ghost favourite dessert? Ice cream. Why d- didn't the ghost eat cabbage? Because he didn't have the stomach for it. Why can't male ghosts have babies? Because they are Halloweenies. Why are ghosts such bad liars? Because you can see right through them. What has a what's in a ghost's nose? Boogers. What? How do you know? When a ghost is sad, it goes boo-hoo. What kind of mistakes do you little ghosts make? Boo-hoos. What do ghosts call their mum and dad? Their transparents. Why do ghosts and demons get get along? Because demons are ghouls' best friend. Last night, I woke up to the ghost of Gloria Ganger in my bedroom. At first, I was afraid. I was petrified. Ghosts on strike. We're not putting up with any more sheet.
So, you've been listening to the Ghostman Show, and I have been talking about various subjects. We've had, as we see, the Cobsworth UFO. The North Canal Road Adduction, Aliens in the Yukon. The Bagoro Sandman and other desert dwelling Bigfoot in California. Some jokes. Well, they say they're funny. Hey, hey, you may not find it funny, but that's not. I'm not really worried about that. So, this one's mostly been about UFOs and Bigfoot. And not much paranormal, but hey, I don't always carry paranormal. I like to put it out, different shows out there now and again. And I hope you're listening to me on albumradio.com. I'm on Mondays and Tuesdays, 7.30 to 8pm. And there's other fantastic shows. Please check out this wonderful, great site that's albionradio.com a-m-b-r-o-n dot com check out their great shows on there music and much much more well as again I'm coming to this end of my show and I hope that you've enjoyed what I've spoke about today it's been interesting I hope it's been interesting to you and hopefully I haven't sent you to sleep in the corner. Yes, there's you. Wake up, my friend. Yes, you. I didn't expect you to fall asleep listening to my podcast. God, that's not right, is it? God, I don't know. Go spend half an hour talking away. And all you do is fall asleep. God, it's coming to the end. Goodbye, 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 goodbye. Goodbye, 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 goodbye.